Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This summer we are looking in the book of Proverbs. Today we're in chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. We're looking at some of the Proverbs this summer, not all 900 plus of them. That would take forever to do. God, uh, God intends for us to live in a very practical way to, inter- to also interweave the spiritual part of our lives to make a beautiful thing of our life. In other words, when a person knows God and he's right with God, they're going to find that they live a perfectly natural, intensely practical, deeply spiritual life all at the same time. We're part of another world, and yet we're in this world, but we're not of it. But yet Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. I want to begin reading in verse 14. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil, and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For there are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put perverse lips far from you. Yet let your eyes look straight ahead. Your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. And let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Obviously, Solomon talking to a younger generation, a father talking to a son, follow the ways of God. You've got a choice to make. Did you know every day you make choices? You chose to come. The latest stats that I read about said that every day you make 35,000 choices. Now, I wondered who counted them all. And some of you made choices when you got here to church this morning. Now, some were easy because you always sit in the same place, so that wasn't a choice for you. But you choose who you're going to speak to, who you may not speak to, and so forth. But choices are something that you cannot live without. And what you need to understand is that your choices determine where you're going to go, how you're going to live, what your final destiny is. I read of an older couple who had a son that was still living with them, and they were afraid that he was unable to decide about his future career. So they decided to give him a test. They left a note on the table in the hall stating that they were not there. And with that note, they put a $10 bill, a Bible, and a bottle of whiskey. 
And the father said, well, if he takes the $10 bill, he's going to be a businessman. If he takes the Bible, he's going to be a pastor. If he takes the whiskey, well, I'm afraid he's going to be nothing but a no good drunkard all his life. So the parents hid in the nearby closet. They waited nervously, peeping through the crack in the door. They saw their son come in. He read the note, and he took the $10 bill, and he held it up in the light to make sure it was real, put it in his pocket. He picked up the Bible, and he thumbed through the pages, and he put it under his arm. He took the bottle of whiskey, looked at it, he opened it up, smelled of it to make sure it was of good quality, and then he left the room carrying all three items. His father slapped his head and said, it's worse than I could have ever imagined. He's going to be a politician. Not all politicians are bad, I promise you. We've got some good ones. Choices. You make choices. They said that when Columbus didn't know where he was going when he set sail, he didn't know where he was when he got there. He didn't know where he'd been after he arrived back home. Alice in Wonderland. Alice is going down the road. She comes to a fork in the road. The Cheshire Cat is there. And she says, Cheshire Cat, which way should I go? And the Cheshire Cat says, well, it all depends on where you want to go. And she said, it doesn't really matter. And he said, well, then it doesn't matter what road you pick. Folks, I want to tell you something. You are picking a road. You are picking a life. You are making choices now that will determine how the rest of your life will go and where you're going to spend eternity. A man by the name of Brandon Boyd said, I think that there is something beautiful about mortality. It makes our decisions mean more. Well, I want to tell you that we are living now, but our decisions affect eternity. Here, you have two choices. In fact, let's begin right there. It is a matter of life and death. First, notice the choices. You have the just and the wicked. There is no neutral ground in the Scripture. Moses himself said in Deuteronomy 30, 15, as the children of Israel were getting ready to go into the promised land, listen to what he said. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that your days that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give them. And then when Joshua was leading them into the promised land, he said, choose you who you're going to serve. And basically, you remember what he said, as for me and my house, we will what? serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Jeremiah 21 verse 8 says, thus says the Lord, behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. 
Now, in this culture, we're all about multiple choice. We think that there's got to be a lot of different options. There aren't many cafeterias left. I don't think there's any left in them in Lubbock anymore, but one of the things that you liked about a cafeteria is when you went in there, you had a lot of different choices. Now you go in a restaurant and you still have choices, but the thing about our culture is that we think when it comes to the ways of God that we ought to have multiple choices. It's not that way. It's either or. You're either in with the Lord or you're not. No middle ground. Reminds me of a young man who went into a card shop, wanted just the right card to give to his girlfriend on Christmas Day, or a girlfriend, I should say, and he said, he asked the clerk, can you help me with a, a, a card that shows a lot of sentiment? And she said, well, how about this one? This is one of our most popular. And on the front, it said, to the only girl that I've ever loved, he said, that's perfect. I'll take six of them. <laughs> well, that's the way a lot of people look at the ways of God. Well, I, I'm not sure which God I want to follow. Prover, Proverbs states, and Solomon states, there's no neutral ground. Even Jesus in Luke 19, 10 said, they're saved and there's lost. In Acts 28, 24, there are believers, unbelievers. Ephesians 2, 3, Galatians 3, 26, there's children of God, children of wrath. It never states church members are not religious or not, either know God or you don't. And I can tell you that there's going to be a difference in the way a person lives when they know the Lord. Even in this life on earth, as limited as it is, there's still going to be a difference. So let's look at the contrast between the two. If you look down in verse 18, it says, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines brighter ever under the perfect day the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. There's a, different, a, a definite difference in these lives. You're going to see a difference in the, in the people that participate. You're going to see the progress they're making. You're going to see their future. I want to read out of Matthew chapter 7, out of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate... For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. In this contrast, you're going to notice in the difference, there's a difference in participation. You see, broad is the way that leads to destruction, Jesus said. The path of the wicked is in the, in the, leads into darkness. Isn't it amazing how many main streets are named Broadway in towns? Broad is the way, it's a wide, it's, it's the one everyone's on. It's the majority. The majority of our world is walking away from God. They've taken God out of their life. They're on the broad way that leads to destruction, Jesus said. So the participation, but then the just in verse 18, it talks about the path. And then he said, it's a very narrow gate that you enter and the path of the righteous. It's a minority. We've always been in the minority. In the days of Noah, only eight were saved. There were very few saved out of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And then you think about that path. First of all, there's a narrow gate. It's so narrow that you can only come through it by repentance and faith. And it would be nice if that path was sort of over here out of the way, not bothering anybody. Nobody would really care what you did. You're walking this narrow path that God has put before you, not to be saved, but because you're saved. But you know where that path is? It's right in the middle of the broad way going in the opposite direction. And you run into all kinds of obstacles and people. And that's why Jesus said, unless you repent, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Repent means to stop going this way and go this way, to go the ways of the Lord. The number of people who are participating in the path of destruction is the majority. But the majority is not always right. In fact, in the ways of the Lord, it's the minority. The gate is narrow. It requires faith and discipline and integrity. But the participation, so you ever wonder why you're outnumbered at work? You ever wonder why you're outnumbered at school or in the neighborhood? Because most people are on the broad path to destruction. I've got some good news for you. You don't have to stay there. But you'll also notice a contrast in their progress, in the direction that they're going, in in the walk of life. They're headed in two different directions. So let's divide them into the godly and the ungodly. First, let's look at the godly or the just in verse 18. But the path of the just gets brighter and brighter. There'll be a difference in their life. When you, when you come to know Jesus, you don't stay the same. Right? There's a difference. You can come to church and stay the same. You can join a church and stay the same. You can be religious and get worse. But when you meet Christ... He changes everything. And he begins, I want you to notice several things that are in their life and some of the requirements to stay on that path. Now, what I mean by that is that you're not staying on there to be saved. You're staying in the walk with the Lord when you're walking right down the middle of the broad way of destruction, going in the opposite direction. How do you stay walking with the Lord? several things. First of all, these these folks are going to have a guarded spirit and soul. Look at verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. There's a lot of emphasis on heart today. Number one killer, heart disease. Physical heart disease. We talk about heart disease. I, uh, I see several physicians in the room. You might be interested that the Reader's Digest had an article offered that an, an analysis of some of the dieting trends affecting our culture. Listen carefully. The Japanese eat little fat and suffer fewer heart problems than Americans or the British. But the French eat a lot of fat and suffer fewer heart attacks than the United States or Britain. The Italians drink a lot of red wine and have a lower risk of heart problems than the Americans and the British. So what can we conclude from these facts? You can eat whatever you want. It's speaking English that will kill you. (laughs) 
we're not going to talk about the physical heart. We're going to talk about the spiritual heart. The word heart in the Old Testament is mentioned 800 times. 200 of those times it deals with the thought life, the emotions, the control center of life, those things that motivate us, the real part of us, the real you. We, we talk about asking Jesus into our heart or my heart is in it. You're, it's really our thoughts, our emotions, our soul, all of that. And the Bible calls it the heart. But why is, that, why is that so important? Why is the thought life so important? If you tell me what you think, I can tell you who you are. Because your thought life controls what you do. That's why Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Before you can do anything, you have to think about it. Your thoughts lead to attitudes. Your attitudes lead to actions. Your actions lead to those achievements. It all begins with the thought life, the heart. And folks, listen, we have a heart problem in this nation. And I'm not talking about physical heart. I'm talking about the control center of people's lives. God says this is so important. He, des he destroyed an entire civilization because they had heart trouble. Listen to Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually before God. And God said, the hearts of there are so evil, I'm going to have to destroy them. And he sent a flood to flood the earth because of the thoughts of men's hearts. The problem, excuse me, the heart of the human problem is a problem of the heart. Today, they try to blame everything except what's inside man. And you begin to wonder, why do people do some of the horrendous things they do? And at about the time you think, well, it can't get any worse than what we just had, then it gets worse, doesn't it? Because the wickedness of man's heart. And that's why the phrase, guard your heart with all diligence, emphasizes urgency. Now, you'll find it necessary to guard things in your life. You're going to guard your property. You're going to guard your health, your reputation. But above all else, Solomon said, guard your heart. Because everything else flows out of it. All of you, everything else you do. Jesus even said in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. One of, the, of life's greatest dangers is that convincing people that they're okay. What I mean by that is, ha have you noticed that there's always somebody when you look next to them that's worse than you? I mean, look around this room. There's somebody in here worse than you, right? 
After all, you don't do some of the things they do. I'm, I'm being facetious here. But we kind of get this attitude that when we put on a good facade and we look good and we attend good, that everything's okay, but down deep, right in here, the control center, that's what matters. Sometimes you read about someone who has, that's, that's a well-known person, a lot of people know them. Maybe they're a leader. Maybe they're a pastor. Maybe they're just well-known among friends and all. And they have a moral failure. And you're shocked. Well, that, that just came out of nowhere. That was a sudden tragedy. Probably not. Probably not. Because if we knew the whole story, we would probably see that what happened is that some time ago, that individual allowed some kind of God-dishonoring desire to enter their heart, and instead of immediately getting rid of it, they allowed that unclean desire to remain. They may have nurtured it, coddled it, allowed it to grow, pampered it until it erupted into action, and then all of a sudden it's shown outwardly. But I can promise you, you don't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to commit a moral failure today. It happens over a period of time. And if you don't guard your heart, all of us, and I use the word us, all of us, are capable of doing horrendous things. Jesus said you should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He taught Luke 12, 20, 34, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Paul prayed for the saints in Ephesians 1.18 that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened we find similar instruction in the Old Testament where we're, in fact, last week we looked at Proverbs 3. It says to trust the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. We're told in the Psalms to hide God's word in your heart. Prophet Samuel said God looks at the heart, not the outward appearance. But perhaps the most significant verse describing the treasure of the heart is found in Romans 10, 9, where it says that a person may be saved by believing in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead. You see, when we say, I ask Jesus to come into my heart, what you're saying is, I'm not just praying a prayer. I'm committing my life. I want him to be the control center of my life. His spirit lives in my heart, my thoughts, my life. There's a mysterious reality that allows us to experience the fullness of life. The heart is, it, it's, it includes emotions, but it's not limited to it emotions. You know, hearts can be grieved, troubled. They can be broken. They can be pierced. They can be divided. They can be joyful. Dr. Charles Ryrie defined the heart as the very core of life. Our heart is the truest expression of who we really are. Nuclear submarines, amazing technology. A nuclear submarine can stay underwater for three months without ever having to surface. 
It's got all the food and everything it needs on there. But every 90 days, at least in the 90 days, they have to surface for the simple reason of recalculating their navigational equipment toward the North Star. Because as they're underwater, the gravitational forces of Earth begins to mess with their navigation equipment. And so they have to surface to get reacclimated to north. Now, they carry weapons of mass destruction, so you don't want them not to know where they are <laughs> and shoot the wrong place. But in a way, that's how we are. We, the, the heart is the navigational equipment of our life. And if we don't keep it in tune with the Lord Jesus, everything else gets out of whack. Amen? You see, that's why he, he says, guard your heart with all diligence. Now, something else is going to happen with these folks, the just. They're also going to have governed speech. Look at verse 24. Keep your, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. You want to know what's in the heart? Listen to people talk. There's an old saying, what's down in a well comes up in the bucket. Now, I, I know every now and then, we think words we shouldn't think, right? Nobody's moving. I love it when I talk about this. Everybody's, <laughs> if I move, he's going to look at me. Listen, you're, we're all guilty. If you drive in Lubbock, these words come to mind. <laughs> if, if you play golf, these words come to mind. It's one of the reasons golf is hard on my Christianity. <laughs> there was a sign to the entrance of the IRS office. Going in, it says, watch your step. Coming out, there's a sign that says, watch your language. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Folks, we're bombarded with all this vulgarity and all of this speech. Our, our speech ought to be God-honoring. You don't have to use profanity to prove you're a man. It just proves how stupid you are. If you don't have any other vocabulary but that word or there are several words, you need, to, you need to study a little bit. But more than that, it shows what's in the heart. Verse 25 says that the just will have guided sight. Keep your eyes straight ahead. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyelids look right before you. You ever had anybody say to you, what are you looking at? You know, they think you're staring at them. What are you looking at? That's a good question, actually. What are you looking at? What are you reading? What are you watching? The eyes... Take it in. We see it, and you can't forget some things that you see. You, you start watching the wrong programs. You start letting your eyes go where they shouldn't go. 
It affects everything. In verse 26, it says we have God-honoring steps. Ponder the path of your feet. Let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or left. Remove your foot from evil. In other words, when you come to know the Lord and, and the, the just shall live by faith, we know that we're talking about people who've been saved. It affects where you go. It affects what you watch. It affects how you talk. It affects, the direc- it affects the direction that you go with your life. It's not a bunch of legalism. It's not a bunch of do's and don'ts. Don't do this and do this and don't do that. But it's a life. And, and God is not the, he's not the cosmic killjoy. It's not that God didn't want you to enjoy life. He just said, listen, there's a way to enjoy life where when you get done at the end of the day, there's no regrets. There's no guilt. There's no ramification. You lead your family the right way. But, but you'll notice the godless, the other contrast here in verse 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. Second Corinthians 4, verse 4 says, the, the God of this age, little g, God, is not our God. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded their minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. When we make statements like, I have seen the light, you're talking about Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Colossians 1.12 said, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. You want to know why people are headed the direction they're going? Because they're stumbling around in the darkness. Our society is headed the wrong direction. And about the time you think, well, surely it can't get any worse, and I'm talking morally, then there's some kind of new flagrant immorality violating God's Word. Because people who stumble around in the darkness have no idea where they're going. They're just looking for some kind of answer. What a contrast. Aren't you glad that you know who you know, the Lord Jesus, and that life has purpose and meaning and direction and guidance and protection and assurance? It's got all of that. Max, a man by the name of Max Jukes, J-U-K-E-S, lived in New York many years ago. He did not believe in Christ, didn't believe in church or Christian training. He refused to take his children to church even when they asked to go. He wouldn't take them. Over a period of years, he had 1,026 descendants, 300 were sent to prison for an average term of 13 years. 190 
were public prostitutes. 680 were admitted alcoholics. His descendants cost the state in excess of $500,000. They made no contribution to society. But at the same time that Max Jukes lived was a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Lived in the same place at the same time. He loved the Lord, saw that his children were in church every Sunday as he served the Lord to the best of his ability. He had 929 descendants. 430 of those were ministers. 86 became university professors. 13 became university presidents. 75 authored good books. Seven were elected to the United States Congress. One was vice president of the nation. His family never cost the state one cent, but contributed immeasurably to the life of plenty to the land that we live in. Now, I'm not saying this. Listen to me. Every child, every child makes their own decision. And if you have a child that has living in rebellion right now and you try to raise them the right way, that's between them and God. So this is not what I'm trying to show you is this, that the choices you make right now affect those who come behind you. We don't think about that, do we? We don't think all I want is, I just want to be happy. I just want to appease myself. I just want to, we don't think about how it affects the generations behind us. Now notice, notice the prospect or their future. And I'll hurry. I'm just about done. There's, there's two different groups here. Notice the godly's future in verse 18. It's brighter, but the path of the just is like shining sun. gets brighter into the perfect day. If you're ever up at dawn, some of you have never seen that. A lot of us have. It starts getting light and lighter and lighter. Then the sun comes up, and then it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. (laughs) But it gets brighter. That's the way the Christian life is. When you first meet Jesus, the light comes on, and it just gets better and better and better. And that perfect day, let me tell you what that day is. Jesus said in John 14, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. That's the perfect day. And whether it happens when we die or when the Lord returns in the rapture, we are headed to a better day, aren't we? But the wicked, those without God, those without Jesus, verse 19 says, it's like darkness. Actually, one translation puts it this way. They stand silent in the darkness. It gets darker. People without the Lord, their lives don't get better. They just don't. Doesn't matter how much money you throw at them, how much education you throw at them, how much government assistance you throw at them, their lives don't get better. They get darker. And last of all, the conclusion. That's the word you've been looking for. I made it a point. The perfect day, I just mentioned to you, in my father's house. But the wicked will stand silent in the darkness. 
You know, of all creation, only man can say yes or no to God. We're the only ones that have a choice. I wish I had thought of this earlier. I would have had a picture for you today, but I didn't think about this until last night. Do you know the difference between a labyrinth and a maze? Now, when you first look at them, they look the same. A labyrinth, it, it, probably the, one of the most famous ones is in the Chartres Cathedral near Paris, built in 1200s. It's about 40 feet across, and but, but a labyrinth, even though, let's just say it's a big round circle and there's just all kinds of paths in it, and you'll go, well, that's a maze, but it's really not because there's only one entrance into it, and even though it may wind around all over the place, you stay on that path, it's eventually going to take you to the center. And to get out, now I'm, I'm talking about if it's got some walls on it, but to get out, you have to go back the same way. A maze, on the other hand, has all kinds of intersecting paths, and you may have you've been to the corn maze at times, or you find that you run into a dead end. It's got all kinds of intersections there, and, and by the time you finally get out of a maze, you don't know where you've been. You can't go back through it and go back to the beginning, not usually. Following God with your life is like that labyrinth. Oh, there's lots of twists and turns in it. Some of them are 180 degrees. But if you stay on that path, you eventually get to the brighter day. It'll be worth it. It'll be hard, but it'll be worth it. But without Jesus, your life is a maze. <laughs> and you don't know what's going to happen next. You have no, no knowledge of where you're going, what you're about, What's going to happen to you? And it comes back to two choices. It's a matter of life or death. Either you follow Jesus to life eternal, or you deny him to eternal destruction, eternal death, separated from God in hell. The good news is your choice can change right now. Right now. It's called repentance. God, I realize I'm headed down the, the wrong path. I'm coming to you. Would you bow your heads with me? It's not just praying a prayer. It's committing your heart to him. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. I'm headed down the wrong path. And I have no hope. But Lord, I believe in my heart that you died for my sin. I believe that you rose again. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me and to come into my life and save me. I commit my life to you. I want you to be in the control center of my life. And Lord, I pray for those that maybe are watching online. They may see this on television. I, I pray that they would see that the choices are clear. You choose life or you choose death. I pray for those that 
have, have made the choice for life and maybe they're going through a hard time, help them get back on the right path, whatever it is. Maybe they're looking at the wrong things. Maybe they're going to the wrong places. Help clean up our speech. But most of all, Lord, help us guard our hearts to not let anything creep in that will eventually lead us down the path of failure. I pray for those that need a church. This is the place you want them to be, Lord. That's up to you. You bring them. I pray for those that need to be baptized like these two this morning. They've professed you, but now they need to stand unashamedly being obedient to you and being baptized. I pray, God, you'll bring people to you.